Hey, Asher. Hey, Jen. What are you listening to this week? Welcome to season three of What Are You Listening To? The weekly podcast created to foster community through music by sharing the stories behind the songs that soundtrack our lives. Some of the songs are old, some new, all good. I'm Jen Tully, and this week I'm joined by Asher Lobb. Asher is a classically trained violinist and began performing with the Buffalo Philharmonic at the age of 13. Since then, Asher's improvisation expertise across multiple genres has inspired an innovative career as a cutting-edge electric violinist. Asher has performed in Madison Square Garden, Hammerstein Hall, Lincoln Center, and the Jacob Javits Center. His diverse, multicultural repertoire has garnered acclaim across four continents, and his high-energy shows have been featured live on PBS and garnered publicity on CNN, WABC, NBC, and the New York Post. This week, Asher and I are going to explore his music and his personal story. For the best listening experience, I recommend tuning into the show on Spotify. There you can hear the music in the show with the songs we discuss incorporated. You can also find the show on Apple, Amazon Music, or wherever you stream. But if you're not listening on Spotify, be sure to give the playlist a listen and then tune into our conversation. With that, let's get started. Asher, we're both listening to your music this week, so let's jump in. <laughs> All right. Thank you so much for joining me, and I'm super excited. This is a genre that we've not really featured on the show yet, electric violin music. Um, and so I'm really interested not only in your music, but your personal story. Um, so I'd love to dive in um, with the first song that we're going to talk about today, which is your song, Neon Dreams. Yeah. So tell me about this song. Um, it's so interesting. I feel like that this song, a lot of your songs do this, but this song specifically sort of immediately transports me to somewhere else, right? Like sometimes it makes me feel like I'm in a video game. Other times I felt like I was in an 80s movie and then it feels like I'm on a ride in an amusement park. Like I just, I love it when music does that, when it literally takes me places in my mind that I can't get to through any other form of art. Um, and just this this three, this three kind of free-form place of creativity is just where this song immediately transported me to. Tell me about this song. Tell me about how this came about. Is this an original song? Was this a cover? Um, tell me about this one. Sure. Well, I'm really glad you like it. And uh, it's probably one of my favorites. It is the song that actually launched my career as an independent artist. So Neon Dreams, quite literally was the dream for me, um, regaining my strength, um, which I pretty much lost about eight years ago due to adrenal insufficiency. So regaining my strength and ability to make music a career once again. So I had started professional performances in the tri-state and really, uh, you know, on the West coast as well, different parts of the country, uh, since 2001. And, um, you know, I was working my way through college. And, you know, at that point I was pretty much for, I would say from 2001 to 2008, 2010, I was just performing for other people. And then I, you know, thought, you know, I was, I'm really looking for more. I'm looking to connect with, with fans in a meaningful way. And that's where Neon Dream was, was, was born. 
So. Wow. Does it, I, I'm curious, um, like this will be a, like a recurring theme throughout this episode, I'm sure, but I'm interested in how you manage like all of your creative talents without going crazy, right? Like you write, you perform, you collaborate, like how does, how, how are you able to balance all of those things when you're coming up with a song, especially one that feels as complex as Neon Dreams? So I would say it's easiest. I mean, nothing's really easy, but it's easiest when I'm producing everything from scratch. So I'm pretty okay. much, I, you know, I, I give birth to the idea and then I mix and master everything from beginning to end. And then I release the song. Uh, I don't have to deal with, a, you know, human capital, so to speak. So uh, various personalities. But so that's okay. probably that, that's that's what I do in order to sort of keep the momentum up for my fans. Um, since my my mission is to try to I would say my goal is to to release an original single on a monthly basis. Um, when I am running, when I, so when I'm running out of time, I just, I pump out a song, whether it's a symphony or like an EDM song, whatever. When I have a little bit of more time, I, I, I try to bring in other talent into the mix, such as the, in the case of Miserloo. Um, I brought in Jeannie Gluck and Johannes Grichacher from, uh, from Los Angeles. Hope I'm not like skipping the topic here, but, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I was kind of looking for more uh yeah. more to what i had produced and i, I wanted to just bring in other talent and the, the, they enhanced the the piece for me so but to answer your question more directly uh i i do have a lot of difficulty producing at the rate that i do uh but it's kind of necessary because there's demand for the music and yeah there's a lot of hungry people out there they want to hear more they want to see more and uh i don't sleep a lot <laughs> I was going to say, you must not. Well, and I just feel like flipping back and forth. You know, we talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Like you do so many things that I've got to imagine. I, I think in one way it must feel empowering. In other ways, I, I feel like it must be like there must be times when you're like you have to shut your brain down because there's so much going on in there. I mean, at least that's what your music says. I just like every song I listen to, it sounds so rich and there it's so multi-layered. I think like, man, this guy must have so much going on in his head all the time. Yeah. It, it can be painful at times. Um, I would say I don't shut it down. I don't shut myself down, but my wife does. My family <laughs> shut, shut me down, uh, by just walking through my studio and, um, running amok or, uh, you know, I, my time isn't exactly my own, but uh, right. uh, yeah, there are a lot of layers to each of these songs, um, even a song like Neon Dreams. But really what most people are, I guess, um, don't necessarily understand is that the symphonies are the most complex. So, yeah, yeah, uh, I would imagine. What an undertaking. <laughs> yeah, like 40 to 50 pieces and to pump that out like on a monthly basis uh, is Oof. like a song like Shemesh or, you know, some of these medleys are, are pretty complex. So yeah, it's a lot of late nights. Pumping yeah, them out. I would imagine. I would imagine. Well, another song that I love while we're talking about late nights, um, this is probably how you feel a lot of the time. Um, another song, our, our second pick here today um, is really, it's hard for me to pick a favorite because I love all of your music oh. and it all sounds so unique to me. Um, but a song that really spoke to me from the first moment I heard it was Dreaming Awake. So I'm wondering if we can talk about that one for a second. Um, and I, I think this one is another, this is another original, right? This is not a cover. Yeah, it's an original. And it's actually a song I gave permission to Lucida Services. They they produced this 
pretty high-end uh, commercial that actually is also posted on my YouTube channel and like all these other channels. Um, so that is a song that I, I, I produced, I think two years ago. And yeah, I think it said 2021. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I guess it got picked up. I don't remember exactly how, what happened, but I guess it got picked up because for that commercial, because uh, it, it, it was it was pretty popular among I guess user generated content on on uh, social media. So there are well over a million streams, a few million streams, uh, just from just from like other artists and and uh, yeah. social media content creators that were using the song. So I guess Lucita like you know uh, took interest in it and uh, kind of like a dancey tune. It's super dancey. It feels like a, that's why I was saying this to you before we started recording. It feels almost like a like a modern disco song, right? Like, and I feel like if if you're on a dance floor when the song comes on, like people are gonna go nuts. Like it's like electric violin EDM, right? And I was I didn't even know that was a genre, but I'm so happy that it is because I loved it. And I'm wondering when you when you created this song, did you did you have people dancing to it in mind? when you put it together? Yeah. I, I, uh, I was, I guess over the last 20 years, since I kind of made music a, a professional career, my greatest interest was in the dance type scene as a violinist, uh, which is in stark contrast to my upbringing as a classical musician. So yeah, yeah dreaming awake is my, my attempt to make violin more mainstream in kind of the dance scene. And uh, I've seen, I've seen it work pretty successfully with, you know, different clubs and uh, among a variety of fans of different ages. And what's cool about it is there's no words. So it's something that's appealing to kids, to adolescents, people who are 80 years old, people who are, you know, middle-aged. And that's sort of my intention is to kind of, and, and, and also to, reach across, I guess, divides, like political divides, uh, mm-hmm. socio, whatever, religious, you know, all these artificial divides that don't have to be there and sort of brings people together. Um, I my- think this song is a perfect representation of that too, because it does, it incorporates so many different kinds of genres, like for the young, for the old, for the middle-aged, for um, Americans for people that are perhaps not from this country, it does feel like it has almost like a, you know, a European or even like a Middle Eastern influence at some points during the song. So I, I agree. And I think that that's like, I think that's why we're both here today, at least in some way is that, you know, we feel like music is sort of the great unifier, you know, and I think that the song is a perfect example of that. Yeah. And, and that's definitely uh, my end goal in, in, being a producer is to unify people to um to build help to help build a world of love and appreciation and just support for each other uh, as as opposed to the divisions that are created by the media and whatnot so i sort of that's my mission to fight that yeah same and i'm i i knew that we were aligned on that from the very first time we spoke and so i love that and i think that's also a great segue into our next song. Um, and this one was a collaboration. Um, and so I'm excited for you to talk a little bit more about this one too. Um, but this was another one that was really different to me. This sounds kind of different than some of your other music. Um, and it's a song called Subtle Pulse. 
um, and you believe, and I believe you collaborated with um, Porter Singer. Is that the singer's yeah. name? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, originally, uh, Sirgun Carr. She she's a well-known like meditation producer, uh, uh -huh. very popular under that name. And I think just recently she's she shifted to Porter Singer. Um, okay. I guess because it's that's regaining popularity. But anyway, we connected over an interview, and then like you know she wanted to she was interested in some sort of collaboration. I produced music, blah blah blah. Um, I had an instrumental fleshed out for release, but she's an amazingly talented singer, obviously, pardon the pun, and um, just poet and just writer. So she she wrote the the words to Subtle Pulse and the melody uh, that fit the, you know, the theme, the core progression. And we worked together and I'm just really proud of it. And uh, it was one of my favorite collaborations to date. Um, she yeah. faced out west in Washington. Yeah. Okay. Um, I just felt like her voice with your music was such a strong pairing. And so I was really interested to know how that came about. Um, and it's strange to me that you guys just kind of met recently because I felt like it meshed so well. I thought, oh man, these two must've been collaborating for a long time because it really did feel like a perfect marrying of like mood and tone of voice. Um, and so it's amazing to me that you guys were able to get that kind of feel to the song, having not known each other for that long. Well, it's really nice of you. Um, she's somebody I would love to collaborate with again, just because her unbelievable talent and her flexibility. It's not easy. You know, you can work with a lot of well-known, established, amazing artists that want things that are very rigid minded. Um, I've been blessed to collaborate with a variety of very flexible, really kind, you know, hardworking, thoughtful, creative individuals. And she's one of them. And uh, yeah, she just sort of came my way this past year. And uh, although it took us a number of months to kind of get the song rolled out and, and released. Well, and I felt like it was also very, um, I don't know if generous is the right word, but that's what keeps coming to mind. Um, as a person that is creating primarily instrumental music, um, I feel like it is very generous of you to allow someone to add lyrics to that. How does that feel for you? Does it feel like a generous act? Does it feel like it's enhancing the song? Are there some songs that you've created where you're like, never would I let anybody add lyrics to this because it would ruin it? Um, how, do, how do you approach that? I, you know, anybody that's ever listened to the show knows I'm a huge lyrics gal. It's something that has always really drawn me to music. Um, yet I still found myself feeling so grateful to be lost in your instrumental world um, because the creativity that it spawned in my mind was so freeing and so fun. Um, so I wonder what your feeling is on lyrics. Like, do you feel like it enhances? Are there some songs that are so precious you would never let anyone add lyrics to? I'm obviously par partial towards instrumental uh, music because, I mean, I am a producer, so there's that flexibility of bringing in singers. Uh, but just because I've been born and bred and raised on violin, that's sort of that's sort of my main frame of mind. But I'm not I'm not so stubborn. I'm not, I'm not such a stubborn individual. You know, I'm 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 pretty flexible when it comes to working with other talent, and I don't see myself as like above as the pr producer. Um, I don't think that that really bodes well for a, a last or a, a quality collaboration. And when you're in the mentality of a collaboration it's it's a business partnership really you know you're sharing each other's fans and 
what what the other artist produces is more than likely not going to be what you had perceived initially, what I had perceived. And that's happened a number of times, like such as in the case of Miserloo. Um, Subtle Pulse also, I, I I created my version of a vocal, like my my vocal version of the song. And and then I heard hers. She was like, well, let me kind of rewrite this. And I like I liked hers a whole lot more. So I feel fortunate um that that she came along and made the song better. So I don't Okay. Yeah, that's a long-winded answer to your question. No, um, I love it. I'm super interested. Like I said, I, I just wondered, like, is there a song though that you feel like no way I would never let anybody play yeah, lyrics on this? I mean I don't think Neon Dreams would be the best type of song for lyrics, but if somebody came along and, you know, said, hey, I think it could sound better, and then they showed me what it would sound, I'd be interested in hearing. But I can't hear it at the moment. Yeah, (laughs) no, I like that, though. I like that you're completely open to, like, yeah, if it's good. Yeah. Yeah, you're like, I'm not going to let somebody put crappy lyrics in there, but if it's good, yeah, I'll entertain that idea. (laughs) Pretty much. Um, well, we've teased it a lot here in the show, so uh, we'll close out the show um, by speaking a little bit more in depth about your version of Miserloo. Like, I had to include this song because it's such a well-known song, and I have to tell you, it wasn't until about 30 seconds into the song, into your version of it, that I even realized what it was. Um, and then, of course, once it kicks in... You're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe this is Miserloo. And for those of you, I think a lot of people aren't maybe familiar with the title of the song, but the song was originally made incredibly popular by Dick Dale, mm-hmm. um, which again is made famous by every surfing video in the world and Pulp Fiction. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, but in researching the show, I learned that it's actually a folk song mm-hmm. from like the Eastern Mediterranean region, which probably the the name should have tipped me off, but I just never thought of it. Um, and so I'm interested again, since you're very prolific in creating original music, um, why a cover? Why this song? What, how did this one come about? Well, I, as you may have seen from my catalog, I, I, I have these intervals of original covers, original covers, and I even switch mm-hmm. up genres at different points just to make things interesting and just to kind of touch as many fans as possible. And Miserloo, I just, it came time. I, I had, I had actually heard a version of Miserloo that I really liked. And I thought, Hey, I, I want to make this more, I want to cater this more to the violin. And mm-hmm. uh, so I, I went crazy with this production and uh, made it sort of like a semi semi rock symphony. Uh, although the original version, which is actually on my website, Ashalab.com, ha- is is not a rock version. It's more like a traditional epic cinematic type type of production of this, I think, originally Greek uh, tune. And um so, so, uh, and then I was, I was invited to, to do a performance. I think it was around March, a concert. And it was like a younger group. Like we're talking like adolescence uh, type age. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking like, what, what's going to rock, what's going to rock this stage, you know, as a violinist. Cause there are also some singers I was sharing the stage with before and after. And, and I was just going through my catalog and I was thinking, okay, maybe neon dreams, whatever. Miserloo was like, I, I just, I felt it. My heart was pumping when I was, when I was just, this is where I produce my music, by the way, uh, yes. where I I was just sort of producing different versions of what I think would sound good on stage. It was all kind of made within a week. Uh, 
three wow. consecutive days of like no sleep. And uh, in the end, yeah, it, 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 uh, what you're here on my website is what I was pretty proud of. And, and then once I, once I worked, worked out a new version with Ginny Luke and Johanna Skrchaka out in LA, uh, it, they made it a bit heavier, uh, a little more hardcore. And, uh, you know, that speaks to like an older, older kind of audience. Um, yeah, that's sort of yeah. how I was born. I loved it. And I thought it was such a cool, um, it was such a cool take on the song, which, you know, you're so used to that, that, that being a guitar line, you know, and so to hear it as a violin piece, it just sounded so cool. I'm, that also leads me to sort of maybe my, my final question before we bring it home is when did you, you know, you are, you're a classically trained violinist. You were playing with the Phil, Philharmonic as barely a teenager. What made you decide to electrify? When did you decide like, oh yeah, you know what? The traditional violin isn't getting me everything I need. I want to it was, I want to, I want to play electric. Violin. It's a really good question. Uh, it was a very natural process. Um, I started playing pretty large bandstands. I was getting paid to play um, at pretty decent venues in the New York tri-state area. And I found that the violin just within like a few gigs, like this is, this is not going to work. Uh, the feedback issues, the, the, the sound engineers, you know, as, as educated as they are about mixing, they don't know how to mix it in acoustic violin. So I got an electric and, it took me about 15 years to actually make it sound like an acoustic and also have the versatility of an electric guitar and blah, 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 you know, it really fit on stage properly. So it just, it was something that was demanded, uh, by my career. And it was something I had no choice. Uh, but just because I've spent a whole lot of years, say 2000 gigs later, um, I, (laughs) I am proud of the choice that I made. A lot of people that sort of stick to the authentic acoustic violin. Um, I stick to it in the studio. I think there's nothing quite like it, but uh, when it comes to live performances, uh, yeah, it's like a no-brainer. The electric has more versatility, more more volume control, sound control. Yeah. Yeah, I'm always interested in that question, but it's for a different reason. You know, I'm based in Austin, Texas, and so oftentimes I'll talk to classically trained violinists that now play the fiddle. <laughs> right. And so like a different version of the same instrument. Yeah. And so it's always that question is always interesting to me of how you sort of make the transition from this very like classically trained background with an instrument that's so complex and has such a rich history and sounds so haunting and beautiful. You know, I think the choice to take it to one extreme end or the other, whether it's fiddle or electrifying is just such a cool, um, it's a cool process to me. And again, as a person that's not a musician, I'm always fascinated by sort of how that transition happens. I wish there were more people out out there like you. (laughs) You know, people appreciate the instrument, but I'm saying non-musicians that that appreciate the instrument, that have a passion for the instrument. That's that's something that like touches my heart. And I know is is exciting to hear... um, but, you know, a lot of the studio producers and musicians that I work with. Yeah, it's just cool. It's cool when somebody takes something that, um, you know, I think traditionally, especially with classically trained musicians, you know, you're really trained to kind of stay in your lane. And whenever you're like, no, I have a little more creativity than that. And I'm not saying those people that are classically trained are not wildly creative. Mm -hmm. Of course they are. Mm -hmm. Um, I just always like it when people take kind of a left turn, you know, and do something a little bit different. Yeah. Well, Asher, thank you so much for sharing your music with us. And I think you've got some re-releases coming back up. Tell me a little bit about what's coming up for you before we tease um, where people can find your music and, and tell our listeners how they can dig in a little bit more into what you do. 
Sure. So I have a piece at Lannis, which I I cannot believe it it uh, disappeared. <laughs> and a brighter day ahead. Also, uh, another song that I I got a pretty cool music video out on YouTube as well as Atlantis. Um, awesome. So those are going to be re-released, I think, on the same day, uh, on uh, in about a week and a half or so. So around the fourteenth uh, of November. Okay. Or may, actually, might be even earlier, like the seventh or eighth. I have to double check, but it's going to be very, very early, um, very soon, and um, it's just being distributed as we speak. So please stay tuned okay. for that. And if you really want to hear it now, you can just go to my website. It's it's there, astrolab.com. But in, in terms of the distribution on all major platforms, uh, it'll be out uh, within about a week. Excellent. Well, listeners, to keep up with Asher's latest releases, like we said, explore his catalog of music, check out his daily social media reels, posts, music videos, interviews, everything you want to know um, can be found at found.asherlaub.com. And that's A-S-H-E-R-L-A-U-B. So you can find everything there. And um, definitely check out some of those music videos. You also have a really cool, I'm going to shout this out too, um, a Michael Jackson, like Bollywood performance that I love that I saw on YouTube. Um, that's really cool. So check that out. Um, and as always, please be sure to follow, download, and share this show. And if you love listening, please drop us a review on Apple or Spotify. It really does help. And last but not least, to stay informed on all things Super Awesome Mix and what are you listening to, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Super Awesome Mix. Thanks for listening, and please join me again next week to find your new favorite song. Mm -hmm.